Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi, everyone. It's Helen here, the voice of Azu, Enola, and Laverne. Today, I'm here to tell you about Woe Begone, a podcast launched on the RQ Network. Woe Begone is a weekly horror sci-fi audio drama series about the nature of power and the implications of linear time. Woe Begone follows Mike Walters, who discovers a mysterious and violent online game. What begins as an exploration of an alternate reality game with real-life consequences quickly becomes a search for the technology that makes the game possible. Each episode has a unique soundtrack composed by creator and writer Dylan Griggs. Listen to Woe Begone, spelled woe period begone, wherever you listen to podcasts. Or check out woebegonepod.com for episodes and transcripts. Have fun and see you later. Hi there, Mike here, voice of Tim Stoker from the Magnus Archives, and today I'd like to invite you to listen to fiction from the shadows of an alternate Appalachia in Old Gods of Appalachia. Winner of Audioverse Awards including Best New Storytelling Production and Best Writing of a New Storytelling Production, Old Gods of Appalachia is a non-linear, intricately woven Appalachian eldritch podcast brought to you by Deep Nerd Media. In this cosmic horror podcast, Appalachia is where hearts are good, hands are strong, and no one wants to talk about what sleeps beneath. Follow generations of granny witches and their families as they stand against the rising tide of the inner dark. Find Old Gods of Appalachia wherever you sip the wines of fine audio entertainment. Visit www.rustyquill.com or www.oldgodsofappalachia.com for more information. Hello and welcome to this Magnus Archives Editor's Commentary episode. I'm Lori and I produced the Magnus Archives from about midway of season four. Not sure when I started actually. And with me, I have some of the editors who worked on the show. Would you like to introduce yourselves, editors? Yes. Hello, I'm Annie Fitch. I was a vocal editor for Magnus starting from the end of season four and running all the way through season five. It's Elizabeth here, editor, I guess, starting from season two, and then, of course, visionary and dreamweaver from uh, season five onwards. <laughs> yes. And I'm the uh, the gremlin, the other vocal editor, and I took up around 166. That's season five, right? Yeah. And we're still making you do vocal cut edits. You're welcome, Nico. <laughs> 
I don't really want to leave. This is my home now. <laughs> yeah, so what we're doing here is, I mean, you probably gathered from the title, we're going to be listening to some episodes that these people have edited and just going to be chatting about them. I'm going to be taking a back seat because I didn't edit them, but I just wanted to be <laughs> involved. <laughs> Are we all ready to listen to some tracks? Sure. Oh, yeah. Trip down memory lane. <laughs> Yes! <laughs> Opening with it. So this was my first episode that I ever edited. And what is this? This is 154 Bloody Mary. Oh, right. Hello, again. Oh, sorry, pal. <laughs> False alarm this time. Oh, unless... Peter! Look, Peter... John, God, don't do that. Sorry, I, I just... No, it's fine. I, you just surprised me. That's... Jesus, are you all right? You, I just feel like I like have hell. to say that oh, Annie is pulling some really nostalgic right, I, faces. Yeah. <laughs> I can't wait. Hungry, I guess, sort of. Did you say I, this I've been trying to avoid being, um, yeah. sticking to old statements. Thank you for your little intervention, by the way. Look, I wouldn't have had to... If this is an episode with two swears in it. What the hey? In the bloopers for this one, Alex did a little jingle about how we met our quota for season four, and maybe season five. <laughs> <laughs> Has that made it into any of the blooper reels? I feel like it should. The problem is that the um, song also involved the uh, violent act that is described at the end of this episode as the way to quit the archive, and I think Alex felt weird singing about that and putting that out on a blooper. I think that was the final verdict on it. Oh, that's very fair. This one in particular, I have been itching to talk about since I edited it as my first edit because I had so much fun specifically with the take selection in this conversation between John and Martin because Alex had, you know, there's like four takes of this and Alex did a variety of different kind of like emotional perspectives on it. And I got to cherry pick almost line by line the ones that made him the most like cruel to John. Ah. I really wanted to mess with people where if they really tried to listen to the detail, all of Alex's lines after the reveal are him being a little bit deliberately twisting the knife or just being mean about stuff, which uh, I felt really fun to do that as the first edit. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like that's so bold as well for your first edit. I love it. <laughs> well, because I mean, one of the things when Alex trained me was he was like, if I put a thing in the notes, take selection, do the one I say, other than that, pick whatever, you know, make an executive decision and pick whatever you think sounds good. Because, mm. you know, as a vocal editor, you're supposed to be like somewhat in control of that to whatever degree. It's one of like the benefits of doing most of the vocal cuts during lockdown is that there's no mic bleed. Right. So what I imagined beforehand, you were kind of confined to their reactions. You now have like, you can make anything react off anything and make the length longer or shorter. It was incredibly daunting at the start, but by the end of it, it's like, aha, yeah. I'm going to make him incredibly awkward. Yeah. Well, I mean, even in this one, this was pre-lockdown, but Johnny and Alex just talk so quietly when they're in studio that there was almost no bleed anyway. <laughs> so it's right from this point onward is where I was very deliberately trying to be like, where's Alex being the most mean? Yeah. 
Because some of them he was like really sad or like heartbroken. Or there was even a take where he was like, he did like the end of it as like a more sympathetic type thing. And I was like, nah, none of that. Martin's not being nice here. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think Martin as a character always understood their relationship better than John did. Yeah. I think John always lies to himself a little bit about how he actually feels about things. So. Yeah. I think like that ties back to Martin being part web or was chosen by the web at one point. Mm-hmm. I think the funniest thing about Martin editing Martin is that so much of him is everything he says outside the lines. So like all the stutters and the cracks and like the sighing. And I've always adored that the most about Martin. Like I never grew tired of editing Martin at all. He's all inflection that Alex. <laughs> You did the Solo Martin episode as well, didn't oh, you? Oh, God. Yeah, I put that in a blooper reel somewhere where Alex just lost a plot by the end of that. <laughs> Is he here? Oh, yes. Oh, I'm ahead. Oh, this is a Nico choice, yeah. right? Mm, the amount of takes Alex oh, did for that whistle. Hate it. It's like you're trying to grow ugly. That one. I really hate this. See, what you can hear in the background there is a uh, water feature, one of those bamboo ducking water things. I can't remember what they're called. Ah. And um, what I really wanted to put in, aside from that, is um, I thought Jared Hopworth could have been a chicken fancier. That was the dream. A chicken fancier? I think so. I think he absolutely would have been a chicken fancier in their pockets. Really feel that fear. Alex wouldn't let me though. (laughs) I did ask. So unreasonable. (laughs) Buzz. Jared Hopworth is like one of the uh, fan favourites for like monster avatars and whatnot. Yeah. But more than that, like the setup for being just like a garden of, well, flesh. I was waiting to hear the soundscape for it because the soundscape just like, it nails it. Yeah, it's horrible. In the best way. <laughs> I always had a hard time with Hopworth. I always had a hard time with Jared because the first time he's voiced, I mostly listened to the show on headphones at work. And I work at a theme park, so it's quite loud where I am most of the time, which meant that this pitched down Alex voice in headphones with other noise going on, nearly unintelligible. It's not that it's not clear and everything. It's just that it's so low that it blends into the sort of general crowd hum. Well, the first one is in the hallways, and it has that echo, and I think if you add the echo in it, you've got a little bit more muffling with it. Yeah. But also, Alex did about ten different takes of, like, the whistling or whatnot, because he said in the uh, recording, like, he knew this was going to be really hard to understand because it's Jared. So he tried his normal voice, then his Cockney voice, and then, like, an ill Alex, and he actually was ill that day as well. So he started off kind of fresh, and his voice just deteriorated. He kind of hit a wall, and it was just, like, all croaky, horrible. <laughs> if I recall correctly, I think he recorded this the day before. He was supposed to be recording another just, like, normal Martin scene, oh, and then couldn't do the Martin, or at least either couldn't do it, or, like, at the start was like, it's all right. My voice will come back. <laughs> I was like, are you sure? <laughs> we need to start now. <laughs> I vaguely knew who Jared was back then, but it was like, I really wanted to know how we do half the monster voices and whatnot and what wizardry via the plugins and things we do. So I was really curious about Jared. And like, obviously it's like it, we pitch it down and whatnot, but I was wondering how much was Alex and how much was the effects. 
you know, like it's very much based on, I think, the lowest you can get from the actor and then you start pitching it down and potentially chorusing it or something else on top. But that was an Alex special. He had designed that before I started doing the sound effects. You know, I started that in season five. So some of the stuff was always past him because it was like, well, you did it the first time. (laughs) (laughs) You know what you did. Tell me what you did. My favorite thing for uh, Daisy's death, Faye, is that somebody got them to record just animal noises. So there's like, there's just a recording of them making like all these growls and like wolf monster beast sounds. They're so good at that. Yeah, we had some of that. And then um, there was a really good sort of bear eating kind of noise or that someone else had made as well. So there's about three different things that was used for Daisy to make her more monstrous. Right, let's get on with it then. Oh, can you hear that wind? That wind sounds so nice. <laughs> is this one of your choices, Elizabeth? <laughs> oh, it's just, yeah, 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 it is. But I'm just like, it's so hot today. <laughs> oh. oh, yeah. Wouldn't it be nice? Would be worse. I thought you were like, do you hear that soundtrack? Uh, God, it's good. Mm, worse, it got worse, worse. Martin, uh, much be worse. polite. <laughs> Hello? Pleasure, yes. Hello. I am Dr. Doe, Jane. Welcome into my hospital, Inspector. Inspector? You have come here to over-observe, yes? To Inspector. I... um... I suppose so, yes. Then follow. Let us tour our well-being center. Keep your screams inside, if you want to be polite. Right. The performer... For Dr. Doe. So good. It was just so much Beautiful fun. building. So much fun. Well, even um, making them sort of more monstrous, it was actually like uh, just a slight, you know, tweak to... Don't need to do like, much to it, huh? Yeah, yeah. It was just like same pacing, just the performance was so good. It was a fun performance. This one was fun to edit too because I got sort of a little bit of everything fun. I got scared Martin. I got a very stock John statement that was, you know, interesting and gross. And then Dr. Doe was so easy to edit. And then I also got to do Breakin. Mabel Syrup was the actor for Dr. Doe. Mm, that was it. Yeah, she was great. So good. It was one of the ones I remember being fun to do the SFX for because, yeah, I mean, I just went hell for leather in terms of making it really like sores, you know, band sores. To give it that comparison to the other hospital, which had been much more about psychological kind of abuse in hospitals, whereas this was like quite physical abuse. But that meant you got to find loads of like nice sounds for that. And yeah. also I got to hand off to Alex, I think, 22 layers of audio. Oh, wow. <laughs> I remember at the time he was like, there's no way you need this many layers. <laughs> and he got to the end of it and he's like, oh, yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> This is the one I remember most clearly being on the RQO early access channel at the time it uploaded and just watching the sort of fur of people rolling in the live comments as it goes and like really hammering down and everyone was just like, because I remember I was actually out at a restaurant picking up breakfast while people were listening to it and I'm just scrolling on my phone. Every like third comment was like, oh God, the soundscape, why? Oh, I don't like this. <laughs> <laughs> There was chanting of knife wife or scissor wife or something. Knife, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Knife wife was my, one of my favorite terms that came out of the show. Knife wife. I'm so proud, Elizabeth, that you just like, 
this is the right thing to do. <laughs> and like Alex was like, is it? Oh, yes, it is. <laughs> I think because initially I'm like, can I go really organic? And he's like, no, I don't know. And then I'm like, can I make her out of knives? And he was like, no. <laughs> so maybe I just will anyway. Why not? So <laughs> I think she kind of works. It is interesting to think then of the evolution of those anatomy students is that some of them were like, oh, I created a heart and I created blood flow and everything else. And now I've just inserted knives into all of me. That's how I live my life. <laughs> there was a lot of really interesting Easter eggs in this episode too, because that's one of them that this is like an anatomy student, but it's never really directly referenced. There's also, I remember when they were doing notes there's a few sentences that are very grammatically weird that come out of Dr. Doe. And there was a lot in the recording of like, can we make that weirder? Can we make that a little bit more uncomfortable? So like at the beginning, you heard the you're here to inspector thing. Mm. And Alex was very much like, no, that is not an error. Don't correct it. Say that because this is a person who's just slightly off speaking just slightly wrong. And it just added the air of creepiness even more to it. Mm, it's a really fun episode. I think that's one of my favorites. Now settle back, try to look intentional. What does that mean? They're going to expect a suitable elaborate scene when they arrive. Monstrous to blow. I'd hate to disappoint Gina. them. Right, so we think something like this or... <laughs> My apologies for the inconvenience, but appearances are everything, Martin. Now, if you'll excuse me, I need to change into something more suitable. <laughs> it is so very important to prime your audience. Annabelle Kane. Hello, John. Masira. Calm down, Martin. You would want to I love that we're all off. just listening. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's just such a good scene. It feels so long ago, and yet also feels like no time has passed at the same time. Because 197, for me at least, was the longest one to edit. Mm. Just because there were so many different reactions going off after over everyone. We had to do two different takes because we didn't know how we were going to position them in the room. So there's some with like the shouting over as if it's a huge echoey chamber and then there's other ones where we made it sound like they're all really close to each other Elizabeth you did so much prep for this episode mm. like so much I knew that the spider area like the giant web and obviously the end scene with the panopticon kind of thing they were sort of things that I was had my ear out for the background kind of like what would the background be they need to be kind of different I think it was like the funnest background in that it's very staticky. It's very much the tape noises and the, to me, like little skittering spider noises. Yeah, I've got a really great sort of visual for that. And I think what I also remember as I was editing it was like, oh my God, Johnny set this up, that we knew that you could make these webs out of tape when we had that episode, the one about the filmmaker. All of this had been prepped in our head seasons ago that a web made of tape and well, partly made of tape was totally a thing. It's one of those moments where I just love the craft that he put into it. I think just those little things. Yeah. Mm. I recently started my first re-listen through from the beginning in a very long time because I'm, I'm introducing some of my day job co-workers to the show. Getting through the first 
Hilltop Road episode, the one with Evo Lensig, where he pulls down the tree and everything. I know that he didn't, that the plan for the end at that point changed a couple times from where he was. That's the first 10 episodes. So it wasn't really quite nailed down then. He just knew some things about it. But he hit so many different beats. That one episode singularly lays out at least one episode in all of the remaining seasons to come. There's at least one thing that is about things mentioned in that episode, including some of the stuff that's happening in this one. It's very, very interesting to listen back to, because like you said, it's just the Hilltop Road and the web had just so much set up poured into it and just so well, just little bits here and there, putting it together the whole show up to this point. I think I was silly because I missed, you know, there's the episode, I think, of the cleaner who goes basically into another dimension. Yeah. And for some reason in my brain, it never dawned on me that that's what had happened. And I was like, like, you know, she's missing all these people. It doesn't look quite right. And in my brain, I was like, oh, it's just a fair thing that's happening. No, she's, she's now slipped into this um, alternative universe. <laughs> oh. Ah. Oh, Christ, what now? Sorry, I, uh... <laughs> oh, this is another of my favourites. Mm-hmm. Couldn't have made a statement before we got on the ladder. That's not how it works. <laughs> oh. Fine, I'm out then. You coming, Martin? So, so my choice is to jump off a cliff or cling to it while John does a statement. And then jump <laughs> off it, yeah. Right, yes. For fuck's sake. Fine. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Oh, Alex acting again. On three. <laughs> One. I love the look on Lowry's face right now. She's freaking <laughs> out. Yeah. Or just go then. I remember listening I to this first and being like, oh my <laughs> God, I just felt every one of those jumps off the cliff. Yeah. Frank absolutely murders this episode. Down and down and down again. Run after run after run to run I picture Frank to react that way regardless if they were Basira or not anyway. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, that is kind of true as well, yeah. yeah. So this was my last episode that I edited. My first 154, my last is this one, 198. And I was actually very, very excited about that for a couple of reasons because this is the final John statement of the show, kind of. Because I don't really count the monologue in 200. I mean, it sort of is, but this is the last, like, just vanilla statement. This is just a statement. And it's also, I was always, my favorite power was always the vast. And so ending the vanilla statements of the show on the vast made me happy. And yeah, just like the bit where they're on the ladder there and they all go from these, you know, their normal Magnus takes where they're all close to the mic and very quiet and kind of fried out and everything to just being like, yeah, yeah, the ladder, yeah. You know, like way back and yelling from the mic. It was fun. And again, just Frank slayed every part of this episode that they were doing. It was so good. In my brain, I was like, the thing that I had a little question about that I answered fairly quickly was actually, where is the tape player? Hmm. Apparently it lives with John, but importantly, John doesn't take a backpack to Hilltop Road. He is not a guy who brings a backpack along. Martin clearly does. Martin loses the backpack at the web. There's no more backpacks, guys. Like They're walking back without backpacks. So I'm like, where is the tape player? Is it like, you know, kind of visualizing that? And you're like, well, I guess it's just attached to John some way, which means that when, of course, he jumps, the tape player's going with him, which meant that you got, you know, I got to do that great skydiving wind effect as he's heading down, which I really enjoyed. <laughs> I always picture um, Martin's backpack to be like Sam and Frodo. 
yeah. Lord of the Rings, just of like a little cup hanging off and everything. <laughs> yeah. That jump of John, that's one of my favorite like tape clicks in the whole series. Is he goes, Well, I guess that's it. Jumps and then you hear <laughs> click. There's that like nice fade in click. Yeah. It's like Yes. Sounds so good. And then click. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and it was so weird because then after this episode, after editing this episode, I did the math and I vocal cut exactly 10% of this show of the actual core 200 oh. episodes. I had exactly 20 vocal cuts done. And this was the 20th. So that was kind of nice. That sounds so neat. I like to think that, Elizabeth, didn't we remind Johnny? Am I misremembering that? I think what happened was he had said something that the episode was going to be set somewhere and we are like, oh no, it's listed as this in the spreadsheet. And he was, oh yes, okay, it's going to be like this. It's going to be like a ladder. And then I remember at the time we were joking, oh, well, you know, like we should make them jump, just jump off the cliff. And he was like, hmm. <laughs> I mean, he might have thought of it anyway, but I like to think that, you know... <laughs> Definitely, yes. Look, John, as fun as all this melodrama is, enough is enough. We both know that you don't have it in you. That was for Sasha. John, wait. For Tim. Please, John. And all the others. Please, John. I don't want to die. Neither did they. But no one escapes at the end. Got to add the really unrealistic knifing sound. You never hear a knife sound when you're being knifed. <laughs> Listeners, you may take great satisfaction in knowing that Alex made Ben die again, and again, and again, and again. <laughs> Sitting in on this recording was great. Like, he was great every time, but it was... Burning wretching on the smog behind. Hide, hide, hide. It is not real, but still it comes falling through the pinch black That little bit at the end where John gets control possessed what have you i don't know the right technical term johnny's first take was like pretty much spot on i'm assuming it's because he probably rehearsed that so many times off recording off camera whatnot i don't know if i mean if he did he did it secretly yeah because he recorded almost all of the statements for season five without a director just by himself i'm not sure if he did for the last one i know i remember asking if he wanted alex for that last one i think he did it by himself he did get quite good at doing the statements by himself. His monologue statements, the way that they progressed through at-home recordings from a vocal editor perspective was really dramatic between when he was first at home just going, well, we'll see how this goes, to like, you know, by the time we did 198, it was like recording started. Hey, it's Johnny recording a statement for 198. You know the drill, reading everything twice, go. <laughs> I think he thought and was right about not needing necessarily another set of ears on it because he would just do it twice and give these little variations in there there was always something usable i'm getting sucked into the jungle question mark elizabeth the soundscape for this statement is just magnificent yeah freaking awesome as i think i've said it before it's the first one where i actually get to do something that sounds a little bit beautiful rather than just supposed right. to be like mm. basically a bit awful 
Yeah. Because Salaces is, it's a country house, but there's only very quiet amount of birds. Yeah, I really enjoyed the statement part of this. The thing that really struck me earlier with this bit was actually, I remember asking Alex whether Elias, because I remember the death scene for Elias was quite long, and it was as long as there, basically. But when you get it without any like sound effects behind it, it's just like Ben going, Ugh, uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, re- I do remember like going back to Alex and going, is this actually, like, do you want such a long death? And he's like, yep. Because <laughs> so, like, I, yeah, I was like, is it a little bit melodramatic? And I'm like, I guess in hindsight, I mean, it is the final death scene. So, <laughs> like, yeah. And then he says, I think the last words are supposed to be good luck. But he says it in such a way that it's like, I didn't even pick up until I read the transcript. That was the thing, because like Ben did so many takes where you could hear it. And Alex said, and was like, okay, just give me one where you, people can't understand what you're saying. Yeah. And then that's the one Alex wanted. It's a difficult episode. We've got the Elias death at the start. Then we've got, you know, the whole thing where John needs to, is he transformed? Not quite. Like, but there is some kind of power thing that happens, right? What is he? He says he becomes the pupil or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. He's never had like an effect applied to him other than static for when he's doing a bit of magicalness. So then it was like, well, how much do you apply an effect to him post becoming the pupil? Mm-hmm. Don't think I added much. I think there was just a little bit of chorusing on little bits. Then goes into that statement, which was completely different from what we'd done previously. Right. Then we destroy the panopticon, and then we go to an entirely different scene, so with an entirely different emotional energy. It's a pretty packed episode for probably like 22 minutes or something. Like mm. It was very much like a hot sea almost thing, because like the first few scenes are so rapidly done. I mean, yes, the death of Elias, that's very Shatner-esque, and that takes him forever to die, but apart from that... <laughs> You have that happen, then you have John tell uh, Rosie just to go away. So then Rosie goes away, and it's like, oh, hi, Hannah, first time editing you. Oh, okay, bye, Hannah, never editing you again. Okay, bye. <laughs> <laughs> then it's, uh, oh, God, that scene with Martin just telling John off to no end. And I put in, I used to take Alex Wanted, but I took all the voice cracks out of every other take. Then you got the John monologue slash statement. And then right at the very end, it's just uh, the survivors. See, it was just like... Yeah. My favorite memory of 200 was the um, all of the final scripts dropped. A few weeks before the recordings, all the final scripts got uploaded. And it was like 3.30, 4 o'clock in the morning over here. I just couldn't sleep. I was just having insomnia. And I saw the ping that the scripts dropped. And then I immediately pinged Nico on Teams. It was like, Nico! 200 dropped! Read it with me! <laughs> yeah. I love that to me. That is like, I would have been like, oh, right, I got the script, right? I just need to let people know. And like, not really realizing that it's such a big thing. Just be like, yeah, 200's there. <laughs> the circle of people who knows what happens just grows bigger because it starts off with like Johnny Knights and gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And then me and Annie were just like, who else can we talk to? Who cares? Because like, well, you don't listen to it. And Elizabeth was like super busy doing soundscaping. So it's just me and Annie mm. in the DM just go like, oh my God. Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> I knew where we were going to. Yeah. But I'd never really questioned exactly how the story was going to end. Although I could tell because I knew we were going to the tunnels. I knew we were going to the Panopticon, but then to Hilltop Road and then back to the Panopticon. But I didn't push from Johnny or Alex exactly 
how it was going to end. So like my first knowledge was because, yeah, I didn't go to the scripts because I was so busy doing, normally doing the edits that were coming up that my first thing would be listening to the vocal cut that I got sent and being like, oh, that's what happens. <laughs> <laughs> and I remember that happening when I did the vocal cut for 160 and like, you know, the world ending and like, you know, I'm listening through, I'm making, you know, cause I used to listen through and make sort of small cuts as I'm listening through the first time to just get rid of stuff I knew we weren't using. And then getting towards the end, I'm like realizing what was about to happen and just like messaging Johnny and being like, I can't believe you did this. <laughs> like, <laughs> A thing to know as well about the pandemic and whatnot is that we were asking for a lot of pickups specifically from Johnny at the start. And very quickly it went from, I don't know how to DM Johnny. Johnny's like, he plays John and he's a writer and he's Johnny. And then very, very quickly, it's like, Johnny, answer your DMs. I need you to be dramatic for this sentence again, please. Thank you. You get quite warmed and normal to him very, very yeah. quickly. He's all right, isn't he? <laughs> he's more likely to say sorry for not getting onto something, you know, straight away. <laughs> be like, how dare you contact me? <laughs> how dare you disturb me? Yeah. Back to the editing dungeon. <laughs> I have enjoyed this so, so much. Thank you, everyone. <laughs> ah, that was very fun. I really liked it. It's been nice to reminisce. Thank you, everybody, for joining us and listening. We hope you enjoyed. And it's bye from us all. And join us next week for some form of content that I'm not sure what it is at the moment. But it'll <laughs> it'll be there. It'll be there because we can't let these people go. <laughs> bye, everyone. Bye. 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 This episode is distributed by Rusty Quill and licensed under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial Sharealike 4.0 International License. For more information, visit RustyQuill.com. Tweet us at the Rusty Quill, visit us on Facebook, or email us at mail at RustyQuill.com. Thanks for listening. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes, flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hi everyone, it's Helen here, the voice of Azu, Enola and Laverne. Today, I'm here to tell you about Woe Begone, a podcast launched on the RQ Network. Woe Begone is a weekly horror sci-fi audio drama series about the nature of power and the implications of linear time. Woe Begone follows Mike Walters, who discovers a mysterious and violent online game. What begins as an exploration of an alternate reality game with real-life consequences quickly becomes a search for the technology that makes the game possible. 
Each episode has a unique soundtrack composed by creator and writer Dylan Griggs. Listen to Woe Begone, spelled woe period begone, wherever you listen to podcasts. Or check out woebegonepod.com for episodes and transcripts. Have fun and see you later.